All right, Mark chapter 1. Give you a little exercise uh, this week. Uh, sit down with a piece of paper and pencil uh, and just read over these first 1920 verses of Mark uh, that, uh, that we have looked at so far. And I told you Mark was uh, a man of action. And take and, and, and do either one of these, and both of them I think will uh, reveal to you kind of the nature of Mark's writing uh, and this gospel. Uh, just go through and count how many times you find either one of these words, and or immediately. Uh, just count and uh, in, in uh, the first 20, 25 verses. Uh, or count immediately in the first 20, 25 verses. Uh, or if you want to dig a little harder, uh, just make a list. And I, and I did this yesterday. Uh, I just sit down and just basically one little word uh, to kind of the highlight uh, of, uh, of these first verses. And for example, uh, I just wrote down John, uh, John the Baptist, uh, baptism, uh, uh, voice, dove, um, casting out demons, uh, dealing with Satan, um, temptation, whatever. Uh, just kind of one word, little things, and I end up with a list about this long in just uh, these first handful of verses. Uh, and that, that is just the way uh, that Mark uh, has structured uh, his gospel and doesn't change today. Uh, as uh, we look this morning uh, in the first chapter here, and uh, we uh, begin uh, moving forward uh, in uh, verse, uh, verse 20. Uh, it says there, uh, excuse me, not verse 20, that number's a little, I can't see what it says. Um, let me look at my bulletin, it's got bigger numbers. Uh, I just know where I'm at. 21, I knew that wasn't right. Uh, 21 uh, starts out immediately, immediately, immediately after uh, these events, immediately after calling his disciples. He immediately uh, travels to Capernaum and uh, I want to take and uh, uh, give you a, a, a little visual, uh, if, uh, if my fellows would change the screen for me and put it up there, uh, and give you an idea of where we're talking about. I think that may uh, help you a little bit, just kind of, uh, Mark moves so quickly, uh, I'm going to try to remember to kind of do this as we move along uh, in the Gospel of Mark and just show you uh, the movement uh, of, uh, of this Gospel. Uh, you will notice uh, three main bodies of water uh, on, uh, on the screen up there on the far left uh, is the Mediterranean Sea. Down at the very bottom, right in the middle of the screen, uh, would be the Dead Sea. And then right up above it, the little small patch of water uh, is actually a, even though it is uh, called the Sea of Galilee, it is actually a freshwater lake. And... Uh, up at the very top of that, uh, of that sea, uh, you'll see I have typed in the word Capernaum. Uh, that is where the events today uh, in the Gospel of Mark are going to take place. Uh, the Bible says that uh, last week we looked at the passage, he'd come up uh, the Sea of Galilee. We don't know exactly where. 
We don't know if it was on the east side or the west side. I uh, don't think any of the Gospels revealed that to us uh, and called his first four disciples and made his way on up uh, to the top there uh, to Galilee. The uh, Sea of Galilee is just a little small uh, body of water. It's about seven miles wide, about 13 miles uh, long. It's not a huge um, uh, lake filled with fish. Uh, at that particular time. Uh, and Capernaum was an area uh, that uh, had been largely settled. It was a uh, almost what we call uh, today, when we talk about the United States, being uh, a melting pot. It had uh, a, a good mixture of Jews, Gentiles, and certainly <clears throat> uh, a lot of uh, Roman soldiers uh, and officials had settled there uh, as well. And so this was the area uh, where Jesus uh, really sets up his base. You will, uh, if you follow a map and, and, uh, and keep up with the ministry of Christ uh, during his earthly ministry, you'll find out uh, a lot of it is based in and around uh, Capernaum. Uh, it's a, again, it was a good area. Uh, it was what he kind of, again, used as his, um, kind of his home, uh, home base, home camp, uh, and uh, continued to go back there. Uh, and immediately uh, when he arrives in Capernaum, uh, things kick into action, uh, which again is common uh, for the book uh, of Mark. Uh, he begins to teach the crowds, begins to talk to them and teach them. Uh, and as they do, uh, they, along with us, we're going to learn some things uh, about this uh, new uh, new teacher. Uh, they were probably uh, honestly excited uh, when they found out Jesus was coming to town. They heard about him, uh, heard about some of his teachings, and uh, heard about some of the things he had done, and they were probably excited uh, to meet him. Uh, we'll see how long that excitement lasts, uh, they, uh, how long uh, they are happy. Uh, it's uh, interesting to me, uh, and I think it's a great lesson for us, uh, that the first real act of the earthly ministry uh, of Jesus is uh, to worship. Uh, he calls his disciples, calls his first four disciples, and immediately we read, uh, the Bible says, depending on what translation you are uh, using this morning, it says straightway or immediately uh, that uh, on the Sabbath day uh, he entered the temple. And so, again, the first real uh, action of the ministry of Christ here is going to be uh, him showing up uh, his uh, now public ministry. I realize he's been uh, to the baptism and in the wilderness, but uh, the baptism was really his presenting himself, uh, and now uh, the ministry is beginning in earnest. And he goes into uh, straightway immediately uh, into the synagogue and begins to teach. And so uh, what we have again is, uh, and the word that he is used there, uh, it is a word that uh, really describes someone who is uh, excited uh, to be there. Somebody who was looking forward for, uh, you know, some of you, uh, you know, immediately straightway tomorrow morning, uh, you may have an 8 o'clock dentist appointment. Uh, you know that there's a difference in straightway and immediately going to the dentist at 8 o'clock, uh, and hopefully straightway and immediately Jesus going to the synagogue to teach uh, early in the morning. He went there uh, excited, uh, and the day that he launches uh, his ministry, uh, he takes the podium 
uh, and begins to teach uh, these people. And, and there's several things that Mark is going to record for us here uh, that are uh, important for us. Uh, as uh, I have uh, chosen this morning uh, for a title, Dealing with Demons. Uh, and, and that's not for you necessarily to say, oh, I'm going to go out and cast out demons, but all of us uh, have what we sometimes describe uh, as demons, uh, you know, things that kind of uh, haunt us and chase us. And so uh, I want you to see uh, what, what is really, I think, the theme of this passage. Uh, it is then the authority of Jesus over those situations. Uh, that we serve a Savior uh, who has authority uh, over those situations. Many times uh, in our life we feel absolutely helpless and hopeless. Uh, we feel like we can't, uh, we have no power uh, to overcome, no power to change. Uh, but this passage reminds us uh, that Jesus is uh, our authority. We do have uh, someone uh, who is on our side, uh, who has authority uh, over this. And he shows it, first of all, uh, through his tremendous message, through his tremendous Message. Look with me uh, as we uh, begin. Look at verse 21. Uh, it says there, they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath, uh, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus begins to teach, and the people who hear him teach are, the Bible says, the King James Bible says, they are astonished. They are just dumbfounded about the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, these are not people uh, who have never heard teaching in the synagogue before. They have heard lots of teaching. They have heard lots of priests and lots of scribes and lots of uh, religious leaders who have stood up and taught them over the years, but when Jesus stood up, for some reason, they are astonished at the message that he delivers. Uh, they, they are just uh, blown away. They are dumbfounded about what, uh, what he has uh, to say in this story, uh, as he looks at it, again, uh, there would have been uh, all kinds of people, no doubt, uh, who were gathered there. There would have been uh, townspeople, just humble, uh, everyday folks from town. There would have been, uh, obviously, being right there on the Sea of Galilee, uh, there would have been uh, other uh, fishermen who had came in uh, off the sea, off the lake, for uh, for the Sabbath to, to worship and, and to gather. There would have been uh, skilled craftsmen there, there would have been uh, regular laborers, their wives, there would have been, uh, again, the religious leaders themselves, priests, there would have been a, uh, an absolute uh, hodgepodge uh, of people gathered uh, on that Sabbath morning uh, as they went there. They did what they had always done. They had participated uh, in, the, in the praising and the blessing and the reading of the Word uh, and uh, listening to the law uh, and, and the prophets. And, and now they are uh, anxiously waiting for the sermon uh, from the Nazarene. They want to hear uh, what he has to say. He's been causing uh, quite the stir uh, as he made his way uh, up through uh, the region, up through uh, Galilee and arrived uh, at Capernaum. 
and the Bible tells us they were absolutely not uh, disappointed. It says they were uh, astonished. They were amazed uh, at his teaching. The word uh, that is used there uh, literally means to be struck with panic. Uh, as they heard uh, Jesus teaching, they were, you know, they, they were uh, just, just, uh, just shocked. Uh, at, at what he was teaching them and what uh, what he had uh, to say to them, and, and again they were uh, it means that it, uh, his preaching, his teaching uh, struck them like a blow, uh, like being punched. Uh, any of you ever uh, had, had someone uh, call you or come up and tell you something, and, and, and you said uh, about what they told you, and it was like somebody punched me in the stomach. You know, it's like somebody, you know, that, you know, it, that was, uh, the, the teaching was so radical for them, so uh, unordinary for them, that it was, uh, again, they were just, uh, one of the other definitions of the word uh, is one I don't think we use very often, uh, but they were thunderstruck. Uh, is one of the other uh, definitions uh, of the Greek word that is uh, translated. That, that, <coughs> that word, astonished or amazed, uh, is uh, a big word. And why was it that they were so amazed or so astonished at, at the teaching that, uh, that Jesus does? Well, the, Mark lays the credit in one place. He lays the reason for that uh, on one thing, and, and the word there is Logos, his word. The, the word that he taught, because he taught them as one who had authority, uh, is how Mark recounts this. And, uh, and, and most likely, pretty much most of what Mark writes, uh, he is writing down uh, Peter's eyewitness. Peter was the eyewitness to the events, and Mark is recording them uh, in his gospel. Uh, and so uh, as, uh, as he taught, uh, the Word was what he taught that, that just amazed him. What made what Jesus taught so uh, radical from what these people were used to hearing from uh, the scribes, from, uh, again, many of the, uh, the Pharisees, because the difference was, and, and if you read the text, you can see uh, that Mark is, is hinting at that. Uh, he doesn't lay it out specifically, but uh, if you read it carefully, you see that, uh, that the habit, uh, the routine of the scribes and the Pharisees, when they got up to talk, uh, teach, they would stand up and, and, and say things like, uh, well, Rabbi Hillel says, but Gamaliel says, and, and they would stand up and, and give a, a, a litany of quotes of former uh, religious leaders. They, they would stand up and, and, and basically say nothing new. They, they would stand up and just simply repeat what, uh, you know, what, what had been said before by other religious leaders. But notice when Jesus stands up and Jesus begins to teach, uh, again, uh, to, to make that clear, and, and I don't use this often, but I, I come across this and I thought it was interesting, uh, the Living Bible. Uh, translate this uh, in this way. It says the congregation was surprised at his sermon because he spoke as an authority. Because he spoke as an authority and didn't try to prove his points by quoting others. 
quite unlike what they were used to hearing. When Jesus spoke, uh, it was completely the opposite from what they were used to hearing. They, they, they were used to hearing him, the priest stand up and quote other people. John said, Fred said, Bob said, George said. Yeah, I'm sure they had fancier names than that uh, back then. Uh, again, uh, they, you know, if, uh, if they would have been preaching and done it, you know, the way you see people all the time do things now, they would have stood up, their whole sermon would have looked like this. You know, they, they would have been doing those air quotes the whole time. They would have been you know, just constantly firing off quotes from other speakers and other, uh, other uh, listeners. But uh, if you look in Matthew, if you look uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, 26, 27, 28, uh, all through there, you will hear Jesus say something like this. I know you have heard it said. I know you have heard it said. But I tell you, and then he would go on and tell them the truth. I know you have heard others say, but I tell you, I tell you. Jesus spoke with the authority when he said, I tell you. He preached God's word. Not, here's the difference in what Jesus did. Jesus preached God's word, not about God's word. He, when, when he stood up to preach, he, he said, I know you've heard all these quotes, but I'm telling you. You ever had somebody, you, you, were, you were explaining something to them, and you, you tell them something, and, and, and they say, well, where did you hear that? Or where, who told you that? I saw it. I don't know why they tell me. I know that. I saw it. I saw the accident. I saw whatever happened myself. When Jesus stood up to preach to these people, he didn't tell them, let me tell you what I heard. Let me tell you what Gamaliel told them. When he stood up to preach, he preached with authority. He explained the law, the prophets. It was plain, it was simple, it was understandable. Uh, and he preached with absolute authority. Because he said, I said then you see not only the authority here uh, that we see in this passage, uh, the astonishing context that Jesus preached the word, but then you see the authority conveyed. Notice in the next verse, it says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, uh, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. Mark's very careful to contrast here the difference in uh, the authority. He says he, he's not like uh, one of the, uh, the scribes. He, he's not like one of them. Uh, he says he has authority. Uh, he, he, they, they delivered their message based on uh, tradition. And the people immediately picked up that there was something completely different in, in the way Jesus taught. If you get your Bibles open in Mark chapter 1, flip over a couple chapters with me and, and look at verse 7. Uh, excuse me, chapter 7. Look at Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. And, and, and you'll see that. Uh, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of me as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. He said to them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, 
Whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is quite, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest, be profited by one, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do all for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things you do. A lot of words. Let me tell you what it boils down to. Jesus in this passage is accusing the, the Jews uh, of, of taking, we all know, the Ten Commandments. And, and we know that it says, Honor thy father and your mother, that your days may be long. Right? We know that commandment. Well, the Jews had came along and they had found a, a loophole, just, uh, I'm not going down the whole long road here, but they had come around a loophole, basically, where, where they didn't have to honor their father and their mother. And that had become their tradition. If you do this, if you do, then you don't have to honor your father and your mother. Well, Jesus comes along and what he says is, you're practicing, you're teaching tradition above the Word of God. Word of God still says honor your father and mother. You come up with a tradition you want to, but the Word of God still says. And so that's exactly what Jesus was doing here in his first sermon. He says, y'all have come up with all kinds of traditions, all kinds of practices and routines. Sounds a lot like the church in 2023. We put so much emphasis on tradition. We put so much emphasis on the way, here I go like the Pharisees, on the way we've always done it. You know, we, we, we emphasize tradition over the Word of God. And so Jesus puts this in, in contact, context for by, by quoting here um, the, these people. <clears throat> They, they, they were resting on tradition. They were resting, they were putting the words of these famous philosophers and, 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 and religious leaders ahead of the Word of God. And so when Jesus comes in and begins to preach and teach this audience, He doesn't one time tell them, well, Archie said, Tommy said, He said, God said, and they were amazed by that. They were, it says, shocked, like they'd been punched by that. Back up, if you will, in chapter 1, right before where our passage this morning, in verse 14, it says, Now after uh, that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That was his message. He didn't come preaching tradition. We, you know, part of the reason we have no authority, no, no power in the church, in, in, uh, in the world today, in America, is because we are more wrapped up and concerned about tradition than we are the authority of the Word of God. We're more concerned about the way we have always done it than we are the authority of the Word of God. Word of God. He says, it is the authority. It says, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. I love that statement. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I tell you, my heart's desire as your pastor, what it has always been 
not saying I've always got it right exactly what my heart has been for these last 28 years, what it will be for the next 28 years, is that we are known as a church of people who proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. Above any man-made tradition, any other way, we've always done it. I, I am, for the most part, generally proud of being a Southern Baptist. Got on the church today, mainly and mostly because it was free. Um, but I want to tell you something. Southern Baptist will lead you straight to hell. Tradition will end you up in hell. Our job, our task, our assignment is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And I talked a moment ago about how we need authority, how we have issues and struggles in our life. The reason we many times are still battling and rambling through, wandering through those times in our life is we're trying to deal with those issues based on the advice of Dr. Field. We're trying to deal with those issues based on the latest self-help book we got down at Books A Million, based on some YouTube video, when the answer to the problems of this world, my friends, is the gospel of the kingdom of God. The answer to whatever ails you is the gospel of the kingdom of God. The only thing that will keep you out of hell is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's it. It's all Jesus came preaching. It's all He came. It's the only message He had. You know, I, I love, and I, I've shared this with you before, I, I love the story that uh, they say of Dwight Moody. He said he was preaching in Chicago and he preached on John 3.16 four or five nights in a row. Somebody said, when are you going to change passages? When are you going to change verses? He says, when you get this one right. Jesus says, when you get the gospel of the kingdom of God right, we'll discuss maybe changing the message. We'll discuss finding something different. But until then, we will preach the gospel. This message was completely different. The authority was different. Notice what it says. It says he taught them as one that had authority. Someone stands up in front of you and spends 30, 45 minutes quoting a bunch of people and a bunch of facts and figures and statistics and, 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 and those kind of things. I've, I've heard preachers and other speakers do just that. Eventually, now I don't know about y'all, but here's where my mind goes. If you stand up and keep quoting to me a bunch of other folks, eventually I get in my mind, well, I would just want to listen to them. I just ought to read their book myself. Yeah, that's, the way, that's the way my mind thinks. Jesus says, though, he taught as one with authority. Tradition versus authority. Again, these others always relied on their traditions and quoted all these other people. And the others, it was the difference in form and power. Oh, those Pharisees and scribes, no doubt, got up in their robes and their, and their jewelry and, 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 and struck a, an imposing scene as they delivered their message. Jesus didn't need a fancy hat. Or a shiny robe, or a gold medallion, 
But about form, it was about authority. Can I give most everybody in here, just popped into my head, an example of the difference. Most of you in here remember Wallace. Wallace was never a man who was flashy. I can't imagine Wallace Halsey with a gold necklace on a big diamond ring. But when Wallace, Wallace was like O.E.F. When he spoke, people listened. He didn't speak loud. I got serious with the man that ever raised his voice in his life. But when he spoke, you listened, didn't you? Pansy, well, now Pansy, she trusted Bill one time, so I ain't going to say she's never, and I'm not going to tell you all that story, I'll let her tell you all that story. Pansy's not an example. Pansy doesn't have to raise her voice, she speaks, people listen. Melissa don't have to raise her voice, she speaks, Kevin listens. Yeah. Daddy, when she speaks, Dale listens. I come in this morning, Dale stand out there on the front sidewalk, wouldn't even come in, but Daddy gave me permission. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to get up and flash his degrees. He didn't have to get up and flash his jewelry and his, all those things. When he spoke, he spoke with authority. What about form? It was about authority. He spoke about spiritual truth. That when he spoke, their hearts were pierced as he spoke the word of God. As he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. The big contrast in Jesus' authority and the Pharisees was the Pharisees talked about religion. Jesus talked about life. The Pharisees talked about practice. The Pharisees talked about Giving. The Pharisees talked about the sacrificial system. The Pharisees talked about all the laws and all how many steps you could take on the Sabbath and, 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 and what happens if your ox falls in the ditch and, and all those things. They, they, they spent a lot of time talking about religion. Jesus talked to them about life, how to live life abundantly. How to live life eternally. The difference. And they recognized it in his message. But then we see something that just kind of puts the stamp of approval, the stamp of authority on everything that happened. Immediately following this message, or even, really not even follow, as part of Jesus' teaching there in the synagogue, as part of him delivering this word, in the middle of that, the Bible tells us that there is a transforming event that takes place. It says in verse 23, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou 
Jesus of Nazareth? Are thou come to destroy us? I know thee. Who thou art? The Holy One of God. Let me take one little moment here and point something out to you that goes back to the Word and it's a fall. There was someone in the tabernacle, in the synagogue that day, who was possessed by a demon. And when Jesus began to teach, the demon cried out. The Bible doesn't say this. But I just want to let your wheels turn for just a moment. How many of you believe that this was that man's first Sabbath in the synagogue? Does it seem reasonable to you? That was where the Jews went on the Sabbath. Right? So doesn't it seem likely that this man possessed by a demon had been coming to the synagogue all along? Does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah, I can't prove it. The Bible doesn't say it. But I think it seems reasonable to assume that this wasn't his first Sunday at church. But up until now, when the priests, the Pharisees, they would stand up and teach whatever it was they taught. The demon that resided in this man had not been disturbed. The demon in this man could come sit in their synagogue Saturday after Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath and never be disturbed. But when Jesus stood up and preached with a thought, That's the difference. That's the difference in the authority of the Word of God. You notice in this passage, this admission made. Notice what the demon says that honestly, we don't see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes ever make. The demons acknowledge, look what they say, they say, you are Jesus of Nazareth. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows and acknowledges who the Son of God is. The religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, Sadducees, all those folks, to my knowledge, never at any point in his entire ministry ever acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. When they see, when the demon sees him, he cries out. And he says, what do you have to do with us? Us. Sounds like there's more than one in there. Jesus, Nazarene, and then notice what else he says. Hold out the authority here. 
He says, have you come to destroy us? Not have you come for a fight. Demon knows the fight's already, it's over. Remember what I read in Revelation 21 while ago? When I said, it is done, the demon, it's done, it's over. I was watching a video, had to come across a video online the other day. Some of you in here, I, I don't know how much boxing you've ever kept up with, but if you know anything uh, about boxing and you've watched it over the years, you know that in his prime, Mike Tyson was a bad, bad man. I mean, he was brutal. And I saw a video of one, and, and, and they come into the ring, you know how to do, and they're going to have a boxing match, and his opponent, he, he was bigger than Mike Tyson. I'm kind of short. This guy was way bigger than Mike Tyson. They come in, and, and they come out in the middle of the ring the way they do, and the referee, he gives them their instructions, they touch gloves, and the other guy turns around, and he starts walking back to his corner, stepping in the road, and he tried to walk. He changed his mind. He didn't, want, he didn't want in that fight. He just kept going. I don't know where he went. I don't know if he's been hurt from since. This demon, when he saw that it was the Jesus, the Nazarene, the Holy One of God, he said, See, did you come to destroy me? He knew he, he, knew he had no, no chance. His days were numbered that all that Jesus had to do was speak and he would be crushed. I know who you are. I recognize you. You're the Nazarene. You're the Holy One of God. Even the demons of hell stand in awe of the Holy One of God. How great is our God? Great enough that even the demons tremble. At his name. Even the demons recognize the, the piercing, shining light of the teaching of Jesus Christ on this demonized, evil life. Just as the cockroaches scatter when the light comes on, when the light of the world, the light of the authority of Jesus' teaching shown on this man, this demon immediately recognizes what's going on. And he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He didn't call for back up. He knew it would be no, no use. He didn't call for help. He just went ahead and accepted his faith. Are you going to destroy me? Are you going to wipe me out? And he shrieks and he screams, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And some of you may be reading that, hearing that, maybe for the first time. And you're thinking, Mark made that up. And I, I'm not going to go into all the details this morning. I, I did not eyewitness it, but I have seen the video in the office over at Northside Baptist Church with Jack Hudson, who was pastor of the young lady who came in, who was demon-possessed. And he began to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ and he did. The demon in her made that exact statement. 
screamed out in agony. Demon says, you have no business with us yet. They wanted him to go away. Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? He wanted Jesus to go away. I want you to understand here, in that day, the kingdom of God went head to head with the kingdom of the forces of hell, and the demons are forced to acknowledge you're the victor. You are the champion. There came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The demons confirm what had been said only a few verses before at the baptism of Jesus. And then we see the action manifested. Look in the verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. I realize and I know that in today's world, especially in the school system. This is not acceptable, what I am about to say. But there's no other way to put it. But with the Greek word that is translated there, hold thy peace, Jesus looked at that demon and said, shut up. I don't want to hear it. Close your mouth. And come out. Close your mouth and come out of here. The unclean spirit had pointed, cried with a loud voice, came out of him. The Bible says once again, twice in just a couple of verses, they were amazed. And they questioned among themselves, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, Commandment. If you're a Bible marker, if you're a Bible writer, underline, mark those couple of words a couple of times you see them. Amazed, astonished, authority in just a matter of a few verses. With authority, he commanded even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately, there's Mark's word again, his fame spread throughout all the region about Galilee. How many of you ever heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words? Jesus could have stood up and preached with authority all day long. And the people would have been amazed. But before he left, actions spoke louder than words. We see his authority actually demonstrated that day in the synagogue. It begins immediately. Hush. Close your mouth. I don't hear anything else you've got to say. Be muzzled. There's another way of translating those words. Jesus uses the exact same Greek words when he says in a few chapters we'll be there in Mark chapter 4 when he says to the storm, Peace be still. Be muzzled. Hush. Be quiet. 
fancy terminology in the Greek language is it is a imperative, unqualified command. He doesn't have to say, remember how, remember Barney and the fruit salesman on the side of the road? And he had to pat on his, my auntie told him the reason you have authority is because of all the people behind you, because you're a deputy in this time. Jesus didn't have to pat on his badge. No, he just said, I said, You ever had somebody tell you to do something when you were younger, and you said, who's going to make me? And they said, I am. You said, you and whose army? Anybody ever said that? I figured Melissa had. You and whose army? He just said, that would be no army. This is an unqualified command. He didn't have to tell you. He just says, hush. Hush or, now, hush. And the demon has to be quiet. And we don't, and notice carefully, when Jesus says, hush, go back and read real closely. And after Jesus says to him, hush, I want you to count up for me real quick. I think it's on the screen over here. Count up for me. How many more words does the demon say after Jesus says, hush? Not a trick question. None. Zero. Jesus says, be quiet. And he sits down. And in the very same breath, Jesus gives the second part of his command, get out. Come out of that man. He goes out and fight because he shakes the man and he comes out of it. He howls. He screams. He didn't say another word. Because Jesus had told him to be quiet. Can you imagine that transformation? This man who a few moments before was rolling around in the dirt, squelching and yelping and carrying on, stands up and dusts himself off. I can only imagine he stands up. What's everybody looking at? What's going on? What do you mean? Why is everybody looking at me? Get out and leave that man. Here's the message. I want you to meditate on this. Percolate this through your brain. Filter it through your heart for just a moment. He simply spoke. And the people in his audience said, Wow. What a thought. And as if that wasn't enough, he walks over to a demon-possessed man and in a matter of only six, seven actual Greek words, says, Be quiet. And come out of here. Be quiet. And come out of here. He simply spoke what he willed. Reminds me strangely of Genesis 
in the creation story. He spoke, and the earth and the dirt and the water separated. He spoke, and the stars were in the sky. He spoke, and the sun lit up the world. He spoke, and the demon did. He spoke, and the demon had to flee. How much we need to learn to depend on his word. He didn't pull out a magic wand. He didn't cast some potion or spell. The people were amazed when he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. The demon fled when he spoke. Folks, right here is the answer to what ails you. Right here is the solution to the world's problems. Right here is the solution to your problem in your home. Right here is the solution to your needs and your 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 fears and your concerns and the problems of your life. Listen, if Jesus can simply speak and the audience be punched in the stomach, shocked at his word, if he can say, hush, leave, and the demons of hell have to flee. Is what you're dealing with. Can you let me let me, let me rephrase it? Can you think of any circumstantial situations you might deal with that would be worse than being possessed by a demon? Can you think of any circumstantial situation in life that would be worse than being demon possessed? I don't think so. Well, the demon-possessed man, when he met up with Jesus, and Jesus says, let's get out, and it was him. Then whatever it is, whatever burden, whatever problem you walk through those two doors with this morning, Jesus Christ is more than capable of dealing with your problems, dealing with your circumstance. You hear today and you don't know him to save You say, if I was to die today, I don't know whether or not I'd go to heaven or hell. I'm not sure. Or maybe worse, maybe you're sitting here and they say, I know. I left this world today. I die lost. I die separated from God. I've never been saved. I don't have a personal relationship with Him. No matter how young or how old you are. If Jesus can deal with this demon-possessed man, He can save you. He can put your family back together. He can help you with your wayward child. He can break that pride, that will in you. Since you were a young child, you never give in to anybody.
You've always done it your way. It's your way. It's not making it today. Your way won't get you to heaven. But the authority of Jesus Christ can save yourself. I want to ask you to die your head this morning. Just as Jesus transformed the life of this man outside the synagogue, he can transform you today. He can lift your burdens. He can deal with your needs. He can cleanse your sins and save yourself. Father, we thank you today for your word. Father, we ask you to take your word this morning and use it with authority. Let it break our hearts. Let the one here in need, the one here that is burdened, the one here that is confused, and I pray today that they see that you have the authority, you have the power that they'll trust you. Not for the one that doesn't know Christ, God, stir their heart, that they would see their being, and they'd come ask Jesus into their life. And we'll give you the honor for all that you do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we say.
I guess it's great news that we got them and not somebody else. Uh, but it's bad news, in my opinion. And I think the goal would be that we would to be able to close that place out uh, and send all these kids out. But pray for our children's home. Uh, we've seen a lot, again, a lot of children accepting Christ. and um, We've got a lot of older children. A lot of children, we get our children's home are older children. And they typically don't get, it, get adopted. Um, we have some even above 18-year-old children. Well, I guess I shouldn't say children. Uh, that we are still caring for. Uh, so it's a huge ministry, uh, making a big impact on a lot of lives. So uh, thank you for what you did there. Um, and there's still some food here, some more. If you want to bring some more, uh, we will always get it there. Um, and uh, Jody will be glad to come down and pick it up. All right, that's the house we dismiss uh, this morning. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for our worship service, gathering together. Thank you for our health and strength. Be with those that couldn't make it today, Lord. You know the reason why. Be with those that are sick. Lord, be with all of us till we get back together again. Let our light shine. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.